Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with episode 157 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back, and it's Thursday, so you know what that means. We are here to talk all things NXT and AEW, midweek professional wrestling at its best, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is here to break down all of it. That is what we'll be doing over the next, I don't know, 30, 45, 60 minutes, however long this show ends up rolling. And there's plenty to talk about from the worlds of NXT and AEW. AEW pushing towards this very special Blood and Guts show that's going to air on May 5th on TNT in place of a normal Dynamite. NXT kind of figuring out its storylines, top feuds, and moving forward, coming out of this huge two-night NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver from a few weeks ago. Still trying to organize some things, figure out number one contenders, and what exactly they're going to be doing ahead of their next pay-per-view, which as of right now is not scheduled. So we got plenty to talk about on the show, as always. Plenty to talk about here in the intro. Let's start off on a really positive note. I asked you guys to help me find some sound drops that have long been missing, I am pleased to say that those have been uncovered. This is not WWE's most wanted treasures, but this is the Silver King's most wanted sound drops. Uh, We've been able to recover some of them. They are not on today's soundboard, but they will be on the soundboard going forward. We're going to do some shuffling of that. As I mentioned, Vintage Chris Vanini, he dropped in a couple requests. I'm going to try to find some things that I, you know like from wrestling that I just have never been part of a soundboard that we've done before. The problem is I'm just really limited to a certain number of spots based on this board that I'm currently using. So in order for me to add something, something else has to go away. So that means losing potentially something along the lines of it's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy or maybe not hearing. Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. Please gently, gently. I'm, I'm and I just don't know how he could lose something like. Now, maybe some of those can be trimmed, but again, uh, I don't necessarily want to lose those sound drops. So I'm going to try to figure out how to get everything together so that we have a wide swath of sounds to play on the show. But that is not what you're here to listen to. You're here to listen to me break down NXT and AEW. And you know the rules, folks. Before we get to that, a reminder to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We drop new episodes. You can participate in polls. We do live audio now that you can listen to on Twitter spaces. All you need is an iOS or Android Twitter app. Uh, Update your phone, update the app, and you should be able to join us. I know a couple people have technical issues that has nothing to do with me. That is completely on Twitter. Uh, But we are going to do those live shows here and there. Sometimes they're going to be a surprise after something big happens on SmackDown. I'm starting to think that they may fit in nicely after SmackDown on Friday and after NXT on Tuesday. And it's not because those are two of the three best shows, but it's the biggest gap in time before we actually talk to you. Like, you know, after Friday, we're not talking to you again until Tuesday. After Tuesday, we're not talking to you again until Thursday, whereas this is immediately less than, you know, 18 hours after Dynamite goes off the air. So I'm trying to figure out how to best use that live space. Certainly, we will continue doing it for uh, our own pre-shows, kickoff shows for major pay-per-views and events like that. And maybe we'll just do random chats, Q&As and you know, stuff of that nature. But we'll have to see. We'll see how 
we can use Twitter spaces, but the way that you can join us on Twitter spaces is by following us on Twitter at getting overcast. And of course, do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five star rating and review to let us know how much you love the show. A funny thing happened, by the way, on 420, 2021, we received our 320th review. So I appreciate all of you who have jumped on the last written review from the United States. A couple of them actually are from April 13th. So we got about, you know, nine days between the last written reviews that are showing up. Uh, Someone who has not done so yet. Why don't you head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop the five stars, drop a written review. Let us know, let other people know how much you love the show. All right, that's a long enough intro. Let's get into it. We will start as always with NXT. And I, I kind of wanted to give a little bit of an overview and I'm going to do it for both shows ahead of talking about them. But with NXT, 75 minutes into the show, so an hour and 15 minutes, more than half of the segments that we got were either completely or partially involving women. Most of them, the former, completely involving women. There's no other brand, no other company right now that puts this kind of focus on women's wrestling and obviously no other brand or company that has this level of women's wrestling from match to match, from week to week. So because of that, we're going to start with everything that happened in the women's division on NXT because the truth is, all of it was basically great. So we had Saray make her debut on NXT against Zoe Stark. After William Regal welcomed Saray upon her arrival at the Capitol Wrestling Center, Stark said she was a huge fan and issued a friendly challenge that Saray accepted. Saray had a great Rising Sun entrance playing off her gimmick with a solid theme song for her debut as well. And this was all, by the way, supposed to happen a year ago. Saray was supposed to join WWE, I think in March or April, but obviously due to the pandemic was unable to come to the United States. So a year in wait, and we finally get to see her in the ring. The match was fun as hell. Saray hit a sick basement dropkick with Stark leaning on the bottom ropes. Stark came back with a sliding knee and a hook suplex for a 2.9 count. Stark missed a 450. Saray flipped out of a suplex, hit a spinning heel kick, a few big blows, and an overhead Uranagi slam, hooking Stark's neck for the 1-2-3. I thought it was an absolutely tremendous debut match. Give it another 7 or 10 minutes, and it's a takeover level match. Um, Probably around 3.75 stars, a B+. It was the match of the week through the end of NXT, and honestly, through most of AEW Dynamite. There is one match that surpassed it. it was an AEW match. We will get to that later. But it was the match of the week through Raw and through NXT, just outpacing Randy Orton and Riddle. It was really damn good. Stark shook Saray's hand at the end of the match, but as she was walking to the back, she being Stark, Tony Storm attacked her as retribution for her defeat at the TakeOver pre-show. Saray came to her aid eventually, so I can definitely see, obviously, a tag match happening here, maybe some singles back and forths between all four of them. Uh, those three, I guess, and another person who would team with Tony Storm. Not only did Saray have a great debut, Stark again showed out in a major way. They have gold with her long-term. She's only 27 and has only been in NXT a couple months, yet she's totally impressed with every single thing they've given her to do. I think Saray is going to have a massive level of success in NXT. I think Zoe Stark has the potential to have a huge amount of success on the main roster. And I don't think that's going to happen soon, but I do think her career trajectory is such where she will probably never win the NXT Women's Championship, but she's going to get a quick ascension to the main roster where a lot of other women are going to be in NXT for a couple more years. Io Shirai uh, did a sit-down interview with Beth Phoenix where they went over her title loss 
Shirai said she was tired after defending her title for 300 days and would take some time off, presumably, you know, going back to Japan for a few months. Frankie Monet and her dog entered the picture and Monet tried to be friendly, saying she'd watched and idolized Beth Phoenix since she was a kid. But they're basically the same age and Phoenix gave a great face like, what the hell are you talking about? You're just as old as me. So that was pretty funny. And Monet also said she would take Shirai's place atop the women's division while she was gone, which obviously enraged Io. So Shirai yelled in Japanese and said, I like cats, which totally popped me, even though we all know dogs are, of course, vastly superior. It was a really good segment overall. Monet and Shirai on Twitter, Stark also, uh, were all playing up cats versus dogs. So you think about NXT right now, and one of the major storylines involves pets. And I just think that's so funny. And we know about the way. We'll talk about them in a bit. One of the major storylines involves a parent and child dynamic. It's very fun and interesting that NXT is able to weave some of these types of fun, not so serious stories along with the very serious wrestling that they're obviously known for. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai were interviewed backstage. And I think it's pretty clear to me that Kai is going to try to take credit for being NXT Women's Champion along with Gonzalez. They said that Gonzalez's domination of Shirai led to Io taking the vacation and that Gonzalez welcomed all challengers. Martinez later cut a promo calling Gonzalez the lapdog of Kai and asking why the champion was ducking her. She said she would take it out on Kai and then go after Gonzalez. So we're getting Martinez and Dakota Kai next week, which makes a lot of sense. But I do think this is ultimately going to end in Dakota Kai in these promos, speaking up a lot, saying, you know, we, us as women's champion and Gonzalez being tweaked by that. And maybe that leads to a Dakota Kai face turn, or maybe it's just Gonzalez turning and kind of extracting Kai from her storyline. I'm not sure what they're going to do, but it seems to me like they're setting that up. So that is largely the main women's segments. There were some other things involving the women with the way that we'll talk about in a moment. But, you know, those three segments, we got a great match. We got a really good uh, interview sit-down segment with Io Shirai. And then the backstage stuff with Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai. Just building storylines, putting the women front and center in the program, and not just here's a tag team match and here's this happening, but actually developing things that you can sink your teeth into and spending a lot of time on it. That's where I give NXT a lot of credit. So we'll move on to the way the show opened and kind of go from there. Kyle O'Reilly was the first one we saw. He has new entrance music and a weird Canadian like mullet type of haircut. It's pretty strange. He said he's the last member of Undisputed Era still standing. He can finally move past Adam Cole and he learned that he needs to have the killer instinct to survive an NXT. He weighed his options when Cameron Grimes interrupted and he was wearing like a money green suit and they decided to go to the moon together in the stock market and trading crypto. O'Reilly played along until he struck Grimes, setting up their match for the main event of the show. His character is a total self-aware dork. I'm talking about O'Reilly here. And it's definitely unique and interesting. Grimes later in the show was enraged when Ted DiBiase outbid him for an NFT of John Morant. And there are rumors that the Million Dollar Man could actually show up in NXT and work an angle with Grimes sooner than later. That's pretty exciting if they're able to do that. The main event match, Kyle O'Reilly against Cameron Grimes. Cameron Cross stared down O'Reilly as he made his way to the ring for the main event. O'Reilly had new blue camo gear. He hit a rebound clothesline and a brain buster before nailing his top rope knee to the back of the head for the win. It's a really good move, good finisher. Definitely needs a name though, and I can see it being a little dangerous, so I wouldn't mind him finding a secondary type of move. This was the second best match on the show, but not by a significant margin. It was pretty close to, to the women's match. Probably a 3.5 star B plus range type of match. 
it was a good look for O'Reilly to get over someone solid, though I do have concerns about him possibly being fed to cross right away after losing two title matches to Finn Balor, because you're not going to have O'Reilly beat Cross. So then he's 0-3 in NXT title opportunities. And it's not to say that nine months from now, he couldn't get another and win the title, but it just kind of feels like, why would you make him the first opponent for Cross? There's so many other people there that could be in that role. We had LA Knight against Dexter Loomis. Knight cut his typical promo with all of his catchphrases, said nothing of note before the match. When the match went outside late, Indy Hartwell popped up on the other side of the chain link hockey glass, distracting Loomis. They almost kissed uh, when Knight ran over and, for lack of a better term, uh, C-blocked Loomis. Then Knight talked trash to her and Loomis sprung over the top rope to take him out. But Loomis looked at her once more as he was entering the ring and Knight caught him with a swinging neckbreaker for the win. Hartwell jumped on the ring apron for a kiss, but as Loomis was approaching her and about to kiss, the way pulled her down. Knight going over in this match, I would say is the right move, but not to be repetitive. He just does nothing for me. I know some people like him. That's good. I don't. And I I don't know how they can save him in my eyes to make him entertaining to me. But the best part of this, of course, as always, was Hartwell and The Way. So we'll stick with The Way. We'll talk about everything else that happened with them. The Way stopped a Indy Hartwell interview backstage, and then Bronson Reed interrupted and said he still wanted the North American title. Johnny Gargano told him to get to the back of the line after losing a takeover, and Austin Theory stepped up saying Reed could get another shot if he beat Theory, which obviously pissed off Gargano. Another situation where it's like Bronson Reed, he won that gauntlet, he lost the title shot. I don't want you going right back to that match. Like, let's just use someone else. You have Loomis obviously involved here. Why not give Loomis that opportunity? Why are you shoehorning Reed back in? Maybe there's going to be a tag team match where it's Loomis and Reed against them and they're just going to drag it out. Eventually, Loomis gets the opportunity. I don't know. But the other thing that I should note is whenever there's a match, that is, if you beat this person, you get a title opportunity. And it always happens in WWE. And I think it's happened in AEW also. But the person always wins. You know what I would love? For the person to lose. Like, if Cesaro beats Jey Uso, he gets an opportunity at Roman Reigns. And that was a DQ, so that's actually a bad uh, example. If Daniel Bryan beats Jey Uso, he gets an opportunity at Roman Reigns. Figure out a way for Jey Uso to win. Like, that is real storytelling. Occasionally, the person doesn't win. Now, I don't see any way they have Theory go over Reed here. But I'd kind of like it if Gargano helped Theory cheat to beat Reed. They don't have a match. Instead, they have a tag team match. And then Reed not goes to the back of the line because we were talking about him as someone we want pushed, but he has to take a step back. And maybe he doesn't get another opportunity for three or four months. That's what I would like to see. I think it's a little bit more inventive than just having Reed squash theory, get the title opportunity, face Gargano, and possibly win the title in that opportunity. Lorraine Hartwell were later shown walking backstage when Hartwell got distracted by Loomis, uh, but Lorraine didn't notice as she went after Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart. Lorraine, because she didn't have any backing, got attacked two-on-one. Even later, the way regroup backstage, Hartwell said that she got her and LeRae a women's tag team title opportunity, while LeRae looked like she just got the shit kicked out of her. She's sitting in the corner, like mascara running down her face, selling that she just got dominated two-on-one, and no one really cared. It is all such good wrestling comedy. The way's fantastic. I repeat it every week. I know. I know it's repetitive. They're the best faction in wrestling. They're the most entertaining. They have exceedingly talented wrestlers. And it's just something unique and different that you don't see. You can like the Elite, the Pinnacle. um, You can like Imperium. There's not really many factions anymore in WWE. Not that there ever were. 
But all of those are pretty typical in some way. There's a heel faction. They're this. They're this. This is a comedy, half male, half female faction, the likes of which we haven't really seen to a level of success before, maybe never seen at all. I love the way. I think they really have something going, and I hope it lasts a long time. Leon Ruff cut a promo backstage saying he's done playing games and it's now Swerve's move. I don't know what move Ruff wants here. Swerve, I think, has beaten him two out of three times. This should be over by now, after the clean victory by Swerve last week or the week before. I understand that they want to give both of these guys something to do, but let's use other people. Like, they're great matches, they're entertaining, but Swerve won. Swerve's the one who needs to go over. Swerve's the one who needs to get pushed to the North American Championship. And we're just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. So we talk about Raw being repetitive, right? Well, I'm going to have examples later of AEW being repetitive. NXT's repetitive too. We literally have seen this match three times already. I don't need to see it a fourth. Uh, Brizongo faced grizzled young veterans in a tag team match. Brizongo dressed as members of the Queen's Guard. James Drake sold a knee so well that the match stopped. And I was actually completely fooled thinking they were going to have to call the match. But Zach Gibson raked Fandango's eyes and suddenly Drake was okay. GYV eventually hit Ticket to Mayhem, got the win. We obviously need MSK versus Grizzled Young Veterans soon, so this was the obvious booking. The match was okay. There's really nothing to say about it. We had a Cruiserweight Championship match, Kushida against Oni Lorcan. Kushida did an open challenge because that's what Escobar did last week, so he said, I'm going to do the same thing. Lorcan, despite being good technically, was probably the most boring option to answer Kushida out of all the people that could have answered an open challenge. But... Even though he was a boring person to answer the challenge, it doesn't mean the match was boring. You know, Kushida, he's the new champion. He clearly needs early, clean wins, and that's what Lurkin provided. Kushida was barefoot, by the way, wearing new wrestling gear and not the jeans with the Back to the Future look, Marty McFly stuff. The match was solid, strong style both ways, with Lurkin eventually tapping from the hoverboard lock. Then after the match, Kushida gets attacked by Legato del Fantasma. MSK made the save with the faces standing tall in the end. The six-man tag that they're going to do next week with these six guys, it's going to be insane. It may be the match of the week. It, it could absolutely blow the roof off. Yeah, there's a roof. The CWC. But after that, Escobar needs to get his ass out of the cruiserweight division. I could have sworn with him finally dropping the title, they were moving on. So I have no idea why you're having Escobar go after Kushida again. You want to do the six-man even if you want to get let Legato win, or actually, you know what? You shouldn't. You should let the faces win that. Piss off Legato. Have the tag team go after MSK. Escobar, move him on. He needs to move on to something else and allow Kushida to find a new challenger. I don't care who it is. Pete Dunne, anyone, just anyone else. Swerve, you need to move Kushida on um, and you need to move Santos Escobar on. It's not that I'm bored of their matches. They would have a great match one-on-one. You know, they really have only had, I think, one before, the open challenge. Maybe there was one before that that I'm forgetting. But you got to use this opportunity to push Escobar beyond the cruiserweight division. He is so much better than it, and he needs to start getting developed as a mid-carder or main eventer. And then lastly, Imperium against Everrise in a tag team match. Imperium reiterated they plan to expand. Killian Dane came down in the middle of the match, distracting Imperium. And Everrise legitimately got a 2.9 count for a near fall. Drake Maverick then came down to fight Imperium. Dane carried him off. That allowed Imperium to hit their flying European uppercut for the win. This was nothing special. No storyline advanced. It was kind of a worthless segment on an otherwise good show. I'm glad to see Everrise kind of 
factor into the tag team division. You will remember that on this podcast, I said, stop trying to make Everrise happen. It's not going to happen. I feel like that was a year ago at this point. Well, over the last, like, I don't know, two to three months, they're making Everrise happen. And it has nothing to do with anything in the ring or anything on TV. Uh, they have a new Everrise live show that I believe is published every Saturday morning. It's not actually live on social media. And it's these two guys doing a talk show. Um, you, and they do it in different places, sometimes from their apartment. I think they did it poolside one week. And it's very, very funny. If you have an extra 10 minutes on your weekend, I suggest going and watching it on uh, WWE NXT Twitter handle. I believe they retweet it probably from everywhere. You think you can also find it on the YouTube, but it's like anywhere from seven to 10 minutes. It's funny. They have had an ongoing gag with Tommaso Ciampa. And it's just a little bit extra that really gets the opportunity to show these guys personalities. I don't really know how you can utilize them. Maybe it simply is as a job or tag team on NXT. Maybe it's a job or tag team on the main roster. The name doesn't really work for me. I wish they would change that name and come up with a little bit better of a gimmick. But these guys have talent. They have a lot of character talent. In the ring, it's not that they're bad. They're actually pretty good. But they're just nothing special, nothing that really stands out. But what does stand out is their character. And we've seen plenty of tag teams in the past have long successful careers with multiple title reigns just because they had great characters. So I think they have that opportunity as well. So the Silver King will admit when he's wrong. I said Ever Rise would not work. It would not happen. I'm wrong. They're actually pretty entertaining. And I hope they get more opportunity on NXT as we go forward, even if it's just kind of as a jobber team to put over the rest of the division. So that's NXT this week. It was a good show. Uh, this was not a top tier edition of NXT by any means, but it was right in that second tier where you watch the two hours, you have no complaints. You get two really good matches, Saray and Zoe Stark, and the main event, Kyle O'Reilly against Cameron Grimes. The other matches were mostly throwaways, but Kushida Oni Lorcan was a solid third match. You got a lot of storyline development. There were some big names missing from the show. That's okay. It was very similar to AEW, which we can kind of move into right now. AEW last week put on an absolute banger of a show. Top to bottom. They got a massive rating. They deserved it. It was a fantastic episode. This week, compared to last week, was a massive step back. That's not to say this week was bad for AEW. It was just a mediocre middle of the road type of dynamite episode. So whereas NXT, if you had a five tiers, if you were ranking episodes, this was a second tier NXT episode. This was probably a third tier AEW dynamite. That doesn't mean it was bad. There were highlights as there always are, but there were also a lot of things that kind of just happened where you're like, all right, you probably didn't need to do that. Would have been nice to see something different this week. So let's go through AEW dynamite. And the way we're going to do that is by starting with the main event, which was the standout moment from the entire show. And then we'll work our way down the rest of the card, somewhat similar to how we always do NXT. So the main event for Dynamite, the TNT Championship was on the line once again. Darby Allen defending against Jungle Boy. Sting was in Darby's corner. Of course, Luchasaurus was in Jungle Boy's corner. The match started with 16 minutes left on Dynamite and commentary reminded that it was a TV time remaining as a limit. So I actually thought it might end up in a draw and was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't because it felt like they were almost hammering us over the head with, hey, this match, there's not a lot of time left. It's going to be a draw. So I'm glad they ultimately did not go in that direction. Darby hit an over-the-top stunner for a near fall. Jungle Boy came back with a body scissors destroyer, but Darby rolled outside. 
Jungle Boy had three straight topes and Darby hit a coffin drop onto the ring apron, the hardest part of the ring. There was a random countout attempt by the referee, but Jungle Boy got back in at 9.5. Then all of a sudden, Sting and Luchasaurus start brawling on the stage because what's a TNT title main event without a bunch of unnecessary secondary fighting to distract the camera and the viewer from the match itself? Jungle Boy drilled Darby with a bunch of moves and nearly choked him out twice with the snare trap until Darby raked the eyes to escape. Darby then caught Jungle Boy in an extremely unique Last Supper pinning combination, hooking the leg and bending backwards with the shoulders pinned for the win. I absolutely loved the finish. And this just barely, just barely edged out Stark and Saray for match of the week so far. We still have SmackDown to go, but through three shows, this was an A minus, probably a four-star match. Really damn good, really, really exciting stuff here. And then after the match, Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page attack Darby and Jungle Boy for no reason. Lance Archer comes in for the save for no reason and gets beaten down. And then Sting slowly walks to the ring with his bat. And as they see him like well at the fr- at the top of the stage, the heels just dart out of the ring. So another post-match attack. Every men's match on Dynamite this week had late interference and or a post-match attack on the show. With the exception, I think, of one, uh, the Christian Cage match. That was the only one that had nothing. But every other men's match had one or the other or both as part of the match. So while the match was great, Darby Allen and Jungle Boy, they killed it. I said A minus, four stars, match was great. AEW just has this weird fascination with forcing chaotic action at the same time a match that people are caring about is going on. If you want to have the post-match attack to set up a tag team match or something to that nature, that's okay. But there was no good reason for Sting and Luchasaurus to fight. And now you're setting up this post-match attack and all this happening. What's the tag team match? Is it Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page against Darby Allin and Jungle Boy, the guys they attacked for no reason? Or is it them against Lance Archer and Sting, who have kind of had this like mini feud going on, but don't have a reason to really be in this match. So I don't even know what the booking is. Like, I don't know what is going to come of this next. So again, love the match. I thought the booking was exceptionally strange. Now, working our way from the opening through the rest of the show, we had Adam Hangman Page face Ricky Starks in the opening match. It feels like Dynamite starts with a Hangman match every other week. Maybe that's just me. Starks hit a Liger Bomb for a close 2.8 count. Hangman came back with an impressive avalanche Fallaway slam and Lariat for a 2.9. After missing the buckshot Lariat, Hangman won by wrenching Stark's neck back while bringing up his ankle from behind for a submission win. The match wasn't anything special, but I like when wrestlers win with new or inventive type of moves that you don't always see them use. And clearly with Paige, it's almost always the buckshot Lariat, maybe a dead eye. But here we got something different, and I really like that as a finish for the submission victory. Uh, Team Taz attacked Paige afterward, of course, and Dark Order came in for the save again. As I said, we talk about Raw being repetitive. A lot of brands are repetitive, not to the level of Raw. It's not even close, but this is extremely repetitive. Like Hangman being attacked after a match, Dark Order coming in for a save. Separately, Team Taz attacking someone after a match, Team Taz being quickly run away from the attack. It's the same thing, changing the people, and in many cases, not changing the people but it is getting extremely repetitive and kind of annoying, honestly. Like, let's come up with some different type of booking here. Uh, Penta El Zero M fought Trent. 
Uh, the action was better than the opener, but the finish was far worse. Penta took a pile driver on the ring apron after a spear outside. Penta's dude on the mic, Alex Abrahantes, I believe is how you say his name, uh, said that Trent sucks and his mom sucks. So he got really pissed because of that. Orange Cassidy then got in the ring behind Alex. He ate a super kick from Penta. Alex then hit Trent. And then Penta nailed a package pile driver for the win. So Pentagon, a guy who should be competing for titles, needed that level of help to beat freaking Trent. No, that does not work for me. Jim Ross then interviewed the Pinnacle. MJF put on a new silk Burberry scarf as he claimed Tony Khan bought him a gift, bought it for him. They kept talking about Chris Jericho's promo being the best of his career. Let's just clarify this. The promo last week from Chris Jericho was not the best of his career. It wasn't in the top five of his career, let alone being a immortal promo. It most certainly was not. They kept referring to it as a promo literally like seven times in the segment. This thing started really slow and really bad. MJF though, of course, turned the segment on its head, went off in typically great fashion, spitting fire, calling himself a mark for Jericho's spot, which I thought was a great way to explain his motivation. MJF, as always, extremely solid. Outside of Wardlow saying two sentences, the faction interview sit-down segment with Jim Ross was JR asking two short interview questions and MJF speaking 95% of the time. Like, I thought FTR could speak. Sean Spears, I mean, maybe we don't need to hear from Sean Spears, but I, I thought at least FTR could speak. Tully, I don't even think was there. Where was he? Why didn't he talk? I thought that was weird. I just wish the rest of them said something and they tried to develop this group beyond a bunch of guys that have MJF's back. When FTR, the whole point of them kind of leaving WWE was to be more prominent. And now here they are playing second fiddle again. Tony Schiavone welcomed the inner circle to the ring for an interview. Shivani, again, didn't ask a single question, uh, but it's okay because this was Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho started really strong and they actually let Santana talk for once, which was pretty cool. He was good. He said Pinnacle uh, uses a bunch of bitch moves to get over. Jericho sang a tune that I think bombed with the crowd. He said they would have a face-to-face parlay next week and that Inner Circle would own their ass at war games. I mean, blood and guts. Great stuff from Jericho as usual. They're doing a really good job building this match. I hope it starts to get physical next week in the main event and it's a good go home for the show and for the match. What I'm trying to say is I hope that this parlay is the main event of Dynamite next week. That way they're promoting war games. Sorry, I actually did that by accident this time. The first time it was a joke. This time it was an accident. Blood and guts on May 5th. Now they said on Dynamite that blood and guts on May 5th is going to be a single match show which means the two-hour Dynamite may completely revolve around the singular Blood and Guts match. And I see a lot of people online being negative about that, where they're saying, I don't know how they're going to do that. It's going to get long and drawn out. They're probably going to lose audience. I don't agree. I think the idea of doing a single match show where it's a match like Blood and Guts that you know on its own, you can probably have go for 45 to 50 minutes, I think, is probably a good amount of time for Blood and Guts, that doesn't create much extra time on the show. All you really need are some promo segments from both teams, a video package previewing it, and the standard, you know, Jim Ross weighs in with his pick, Tony Schiavone weighs in, maybe you even get like Moxley and and, uh, Omega to weigh in, people 
who have experience with this match, go back to people who have been in War Games matches back in the day, reach out to them for their you know comments, people not under the contract, of course, of WWE. So I, I think there's you can easily build a single show around one match. And I'm actually more excited for the fact that that Dynamite is gonna be totally about this match than anything else. The other thing people need to consider is that they need to totally build a new structure at Daly's Place. So they can't have the War Games structure, the Blood and Guts structure around two rings and then remove it on a live show and do multiple other matches with the two rings there. You can do more matches with the two rings there. We've seen that from NXT TakeOver War Games where the second ring is there, you kind of just ignore it. They used to do that in WCW War Games as well. That's all possible, but they're not in an arena. They don't have a way to just suddenly lift this structure up and bring it down before the main event. So it's gonna have to be there the entire time. So I think that's really the main reason why they're doing this. I guess they could pre-tape it or they could pre-tape some matches and air them before. They could maybe even air matches from that house show. But ultimately, you're talking about one match or maybe two extra matches that you'd have on the show. I would much rather you build for this main event. This main event is gonna be captivating. It's, it's 10 great wrestlers in a first ever match for AEW. So I love the idea that this is gonna be a one match card and I'm excited, extremely excited for Blood and Guts on May 5th. We had a women's championship match, Shikaru Shida against Ty Conti. Not only was there good build to this match, they aired a strong video package ahead of it and they had the match go down in the third quarter hour for a change rather than just shoehorning it in at the end of the show. Conti took a brain buster at ringside before coming back with the senton across Sheeta's back while laying on the top rope. Sheeta hit the witch's shot on Conti, dropping her back first over the top turnbuckle in a really cool move. Sheeta then kicked out of the tie KO and Conti kicked out of the backpack pile driver. Sheeta hit a huge backbreaker followed by a katana for the win. This was a hell of a match. Probably 3.5 stars, one step slightly below Saray and Zoe Stark but basically the third best match of the week tied with that Kyle O'Reilly and Cameron Grimes match. Awesome stuff. Both women did a great job with some inventive maneuvers and strong selling. By the way, I did forget Randy Orton and Riddle, also probably a 3.5. So all of those in that category together. Uh, After the match, Britt Baker came out to taunt Sheeta about being the new number one contender in the rankings. Baker, we've said it before, she needs to be the one to beat Sheeta and take the title whenever that match happens. Only other thing to note is that once again, this was the only in-ring women's segment on the entire show. And outside of a very, very short taped promo, it was the only time we saw women's wrestlers at all on the program. Uh, Miro cut a taped promo about the AEW champions not being able to run and hide from him, basically putting Kenny Omega and Darby Allin on notice. He said, if you've got a title, you've got a problem, which is a great line and probably the best phrase that Miro has uttered since he joined AEW. This was a far better promo than last week. And I actually am starting to believe he will be the one to take the TNT title off Darby Allen whenever that match eventually happens. We got Billy Gunn against QT Marshall. Gunn is 57 and he actually looks damn good, not just physically, but in the ring. Gunn dominated Marshall. The factory started to interfere. So Gun Club came to their dad's aid. They each avoided the other's finisher. Anthony Agogo then ran down, punched Gunn once in the gut, letting Marshall hit the diamond cutter for the win. You had 52-year-old Dustin Rhodes come in for the save and break a wood chair over Nick Camarado's head, but Camarado didn't budge at all 
in what was a really cool no-sell. This was okay, I think, for a low-card deal. Two of the three men's matches through 75 minutes, I said this kind of earlier, had interference, and two of the three had a post-match attack. This probably should have been on dark or elevation. I don't think this gimmick needs to be on the main show. If eventually you want to build to QT Marshall and Cody and air like one or two storylines ahead of that, that's cool. But most of the time of that this feud is spent in AEW's universe, most of the time spent on this feud in AEW's universe to actually speak like a normal human being uh, should be on dark and or elevation, whatever they determine is most appropriate. The Elite were putting themselves over in their trailer when a horn kept interrupting Kenny Omega. John Moxley and Eddie Kingston were shown behind the wheel. They rammed the trailer with a truck, grabbed a lead pipe and invaded the trailer, but no one was there and we never got to see inside as Mox and Kingston ranted that the Elite were cowards. It was so obviously an attempt to do a Stone Cold Steve Austin moment, except it completely fell flat. It felt like there was supposed to be something that happens. They tip over the trailer, they set it on fire, they find one person like Carl Anderson straggling and they beat the shit out of him. Anything else could have happened for this segment to be okay. But I mean, it was just the worst version of something we've seen so many times from WWE and back in the day, WCW as well. Now, Mox and Kingston were amazing together as usual. Kingston's asking where the shoe collection is so he can steal it, do a side hustle. Mox is just ranting. He's pissed that no one's there. They're really funny and really good and amazing together as usual. But this went absolutely nowhere and it was just a pretty lame. I gotta say, it was a lame excuse for what was supposed to be a hot backstage parking lot type of segment. We got Christian Cage against Powerhouse Hobbs in a singles match. Christian did a pretty good job selling for Hobbs, but he changed momentum getting his feet up to block a Vader bomb. Christian hit a power bomb and a pretty bad frog splash for a near fall. He should skip the frog splash in the future, never do it again. Hobbs retook the advantage, but Christian fell off his shoulders and hit kill switch for the expected win. Like the other men's matches earlier, this had its bright spots, but it was just okay. At least there wasn't any interference in it. And then lastly, Jade Cargill got a video package where she said all of the managers in AEW were trying to sign her. She didn't need one, but she would sign with a manager if she got a hell of a deal. I thought this was really confusing, but rarely do you see uh, someone, a character, a superstar, a wrestler, open themselves up to managerial services. So I think it's pretty unique if they follow through with it. But the only people they had on screen were Matt Hardy and Vicky Guerrero. Vicky, who despite being a manager of Nyla Rose, is basically never there. Matt Hardy, who is there, but has way too many people in his faction now. Not too many people, but enough people in his faction. So I don't know where Jade Cargill is going to go. And I don't know if she does end up with a manager. Maybe they bring someone in to be her manager. That could be interesting, like a Mickey James. Maybe this is a storyline to bring in Mickey James as her manager, just as an example. But it's weird. It seems like they're trying to just find something for Jade to do without actually just putting her in matches. I think she should be in matches with low-card women's talent most weeks and beat them. She doesn't necessarily need to have the Goldberg featured spot, but I think you want to put Jade over. You want to show her beating a lot of people. And she's only really won two matches of note, of true note in AEW. And one was a mixed tag with a celebrity. So if it's me, I'm building her up a little bit more, but I like Jade. I like the idea of this angle and I hope they do pay it off. So all in all, like I said, Dynamite coming off an incredible show last week with the expectations of an incredible show coming in two weeks. This was a fall off type of episode. It was a third tier 
out of five. And again, that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world because both NXT, AEW, Raw, SmackDown also. Some of them have great weeks and some of them have down weeks. Well, let's be honest, Raw never has great weeks these days. Uh, it's only down weeks. But some of them have different tiers of, of the type of quality program that we get. And I just felt like AEW, I don't want to say they mailed it in because a lot of people worked really hard on that show. It just wasn't the most exciting episode of AEW Dynamite that we have seen before. So that's really it, breaking down NXT and AEW from this week. We're in a really nice zone here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast where there's no major pay-per-views coming up like immediately. Um, We don't have to do extra episodes. I would love to give you more interviews. I know you guys really like when I speak to wrestlers, but I don't have any planned right now. So we're back next week with a planned, scheduled two-episode week, Tuesday, as always. We'll talk about all things WWE coming out of SmackDown and Raw, and we will be back next Thursday talking NXT and AEW. Will there be a instant reaction, random Twitter spaces show, live show on Twitter? Maybe. We don't know. The best way for you to find out is to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast so that you get that notification and you find out if we do go live to talk about professional wrestling. It's also a great place to follow us for episode releases and live chats during every single major uh, United States show, SmackDown, Raw, NXT, AEW. We're always on there watching live, chatting live. So you can tweet us, you can send in DMs and tweets to get right on the show. Obviously today I didn't read any. I didn't really get any great ones. So you guys need to step your game up if you want to get on to the Thursday episode. And of course, do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Let other people know how much you love the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast and help this show grow. We are also still seeking advertisers. So anyone interested in having their product, website, service, or anything else promoted on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, feel free to send us an email, gettingoverpod at gmail.com. We can talk rates, we can work something out, we can get your ad, your company's ad, on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So that's it. Let's call it a day. I'm going to leave you, as always, with three final words. Bye for now.